Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome to Seek Reality with your host, Roberta Grimes. Author and attorney Roberta Grimes will explore and illustrate how she, after an extraordinary experience of light in childhood, has discovered channels of communication to the afterlife and how these implications have an effect on our everyday lives. Please welcome the host of Seek Reality, Roberta Grimes. Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Seek Reality. Of course, I'm Roberta Grimes. And once again today, we are going to be doing what everyone actually is doing now, whether they're doing it with us or in another way. We're going to try to finally understand what is going on. What are the eternal, genuine truths? And frankly, one of the problems we have when we try to understand what's really going on is that we're limited to the use of language. And words long ago acquired accepted meanings that are grounded in materiality, which is a little bit of a complication now that we understand that there actually is no such thing as materiality, which is something that the two most eminent physicists of all time, Max Planck and Albert Einstein, both told us, but apparently scientists don't listen to them. Everything that we say is grounded in materiality, and most of these words are also grounded in fear, which is the opposite of the highest level of consciousness, perfect love, what we all are trying to achieve. So, and they all have they all have meanings that were settled, frankly, at least a century, in most cases, maybe a thousand years ago. So, how how can we use them when we're communicating with one another, trying to understand eternal truths that nobody ever has understood before? It's a little bit frustrating, and it's frustrating for the dead as well, because they are trying right now very hard 
to show us what actually is going on. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about this of late. It's one reason we all have so much trouble conveying to people that the truths that are only now being revealed to humankind are so different from both science and religion that practitioners in those two categories of thought, and they used to believe, frankly, that they own the whole field of human knowledge, they're having so much trouble understanding that now there's a new kid on the block. We're that new kid. And we're finding a unified theory of human thought for the 21st century. It encompasses all of science and all of religion. And it is so different from what the practitioners of each of them now understand that they are trying to ignore it for as long as they can until we have very good electronic communication with the, with the world that we enter or go, really go back to at death and communication that everybody listening will be able easily to use to dial up great, 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 great Aunt Martha's, um, you know, and say hi to her, ask her how things are and then get her recipe. Until we can do that, um, it's going to be easy for them to ignore us. But the dead tell us that day is soon so we can look forward to that. Of course, the people that we used to think were dead do not have this problem with words. Communication in the afterlife levels, which really are most of reality, that's what it's where we came from and where we go back to, communications there are entirely by thought. And it's very different from simply reading other people's minds. They literally have a thought, throw it to someone else, and that person then has the thought and understands completely what they're trying to convey. They tell us that's way better. Thomas Jefferson, of course, was one of America's greatest founding fathers, and he was also among the greatest wordsmiths who ever lived. Yet, even he realized after his death that having to use words actually does get in the way of real communication. He spoke to us in about 1960 through the great direct voice medium, Leslie Flint, and the first thing he did was to express his frustration about having to use words to communicate with us. He said the whole process of communicating from a place where communication is all by thought to a place where words have to be used is, as he put it, very conflicting and complicated, aligning with vibration, coming in, remembering things that one wishes to say, transmission of thought into sound, words, words, often words, which don't indicate anything clearly, at least what one feels. That was, those were his words, said, what, 150 years after his death. But words are what we have. We've got to use them. We just have to be aware of their inadequacies because the thoughts we are trying to express to one another using words are brand, brand new. So today your guest is your host. And we're going to try again using words to understand the meaning and the message of someone who came to us 2,000 years ago from the glorious greater reality to give to us the perfect, the perfect thoughts of our infinitely powerful eternal mind, of which all our minds are a part. There's one mind, and all our minds are part of that mind, and it is indeed the only thing that exists, the genuine, genuine Godhead, which is utterly, entirely different from any concept anybody, any religion has ever given to you of the genuine God. That's part of our problem. Of course, from childhood, I've been probably the most ardent Christian you've ever met. I mean, no question. As you know, if we've been talking for a while, I had an experience of light at the age of eight, a genuine and powerful spiritual moment in the life of a little child that was so extraordinary and so transformational that it still seems more than 60 years later if it, as if it just happened last night. 
I thought I kept thinking I was going to learn about it the way you learn about the facts of life and everything else because it had to be normal if it happened to me. But nobody ever, since I never asked a question, nobody ever gave me an answer to what had happened to me. So in frustration, I actually majored in religion in college. I was trying, or specifically in early Christian history. I was trying to understand that that moment. I mean, there are two experiences of light in the Bible for certain, very almost exactly like what happened to me. So I knew it was real. So why didn't anybody talk about it, even if I never raised the question? Nobody did. So I had to figure it out myself, and I began by reading the Bible. I have read the Bible cover to cover at least six times at maybe as many as eight. I, I never kept track of every time I went back to, to, to Genesis, so I'm not certain, but it was between six and eight times. I've read the New Testament twice as many times, and I've read the Gospels so many times that I can recite parts by heart. And I've, meanwhile, I'm practicing Catholicism because it had to be real, right? I mean, given that experience, I knew God was real. So, you know, the whole the whole ball of wax had to be real. I was the most zealous Catholic you ever imagined into my 50s. I mean, I was a lector. I taught Sunday school. I, actually, I did all kinds of things. I reared my poor, patient children to be Catholics. And as a result, they have no religion at all now. But I was sure I was right. But at the same time, I was also reading communications from the dead received before 1950, of which we have many, many, many hundreds. I was doing that because if Christianity couldn't give me the answer, I figured the dead could. Never occurred to me that there would be a conflict between what the dead are telling us from the afterlife and what, what, what I believed fervently as a Catholic. Um, I was sure any minute, because... I was sure Christianity was real and my brand must be the best one since it was the fanciest. I was sure that I was very soon going to get the answers to my questions. I just had to keep reading what the dead were saying. Now, there's a reason why your, whatever your religion is, tells you not to read communications from the dead. They try to make you afraid. The only possible hold a religion ever has on you is fear. And fear is the opposite of love, and therefore fear actually keeps you from growing spiritually. I understood none of this then. I do understand it now. But I, I was I was doing all this reading, and finally, I had to realize, and this was when I was in my early 50s, that nothing I was reading ever indicated that Christianity was real. What I was looking for was that magic moment when one communicator would say, oh, I'm so glad I accepted Jesus as my personal savior because his death on the cross saved me from hell. No, I never read that. Instead, I read that over and over again that there is no hell, there's no judgment by God, judgment is by ourselves. Consistently, the dead told us all this. They tell us that Jesus actually is God on earth. When he came, he was God on earth. But he came for a very different purpose. And since neither he nor God ever judges us, his death on the cross was not to redeem us from a judgment that never happens. Actually, Jesus tells us this in the Gospels. He tells us that God doesn't judge us, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so all may honor, honor the Son as they honor the Father. He had to be careful how he said it, because it was illegal. In fact, it was punishable by death to say any of this um, in his time, and there were always temple guards. So he said it usually over days of time. The next 
time we, we talk with him again, he says, and as for me, I judge no one. I did not come to judge the world. I came to save it. Well, Christians say, oh, see, that's what's his death on. No, he came to save us from Christian, from Christianity in particular, but certainly also from Judaism, from all of the religions that have taught us to fear. We mustn't fear God, because if we fear God, we are fearing ourselves and all of humanity. And that is the core problem, frankly, of the world, as you know. The dead tell us now that every religion is a human construct, every one of them. No afterlife researcher, in fact, ever has found any evidence either. I mean, it's not just me. They've never found any evidence that suggests that any religion holds beliefs that can be verified. Uh Uh-uh. Instead, those who are not really dead, you know, the people who are in a position to know what's going on, tell us that every religion is a human construct, and that's true of all of them. Nearly all religions are based in the teachings of advanced beings who came to Earth with a specific intention of helping to elevate humankind away from fear and toward more perfect love, which is the whole reason why you're born in the first place, to learn how to do that. But the teachings, every time we had a a perfected being come to earth, their teachings were distorted because primitive people could not possibly understand what was going on, understand what they were saying. And they generally packaged those teachings in older and even more primitive beliefs. If you look at um, all the religions in the world, you'll see clearly how this happened. That's how every religion was born. And that's how they all survive to this day. The most important thing for all of us, and that's true whether you're religious or not, is to understand at last the truth about what really, what reality is and what actually is going on, what human beings really are, and above all, our greatest challenge is finally to understand what started it all, the uncaused caused. What exactly was that uncaused cause that brought reality into being? But decades after human beings first walked on the moon, we are still stuck with the same understandings of these most important issues of all that were believed by people a thousand, two thousand years ago. Dear friends, we really don't have to be stuck with primitive beliefs forevermore. Understandings of reality that benefit all of us are right in front of us now. They are available to us in the 21st century and Now we are going to be able to begin actually to find the truth. Even if you are a traditional Christian, I want to reassure you that you can feel comfortable doing what Jesus has for 2,000 years ago encouraged us to do. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. That's Matthew 7, 7 to 8. It was reliance on those words that let me finally realize that God, God wants us to seek the truth in modern terms. We are not first century primitives any longer. There is a much more sophisticated, much more genuine understanding of the truth. And it is right in front of humankind now if we can just get rid of the fear that comes from these teachings so old and so primitive that they cannot possibly affect our lives today. Even for the most zealous Christians, we have the Lord's blessing to seek the truth. And that's what we do each week, and that's what we're doing today. I'm so glad you're with me. We'll be right back.
Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Dear friends, welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. And today we're talking about what I think is a really core subject for anyone who is, like me, interested in finally knowing the truth about what reality is, who we are, and why we come to Earth at all. And that's trying to understand how to really use language to express what we're finding and also how to shed the fear, shed the fear that is the only thing that is keeping humankind in the dark. Because these religions, thousands of years old, hundreds of years old, these religions all were formed by people who were given a bit of the truth. I don't question that at all. And the truth came from God, don't question that either. But then it was packaged just as Christianity was packaged in the prevailing religion of the day and it became another sect of that religion rather than giving us what God has been trying to do for at least 2,000 years, in fact, or I think it's more like three, which is to reach us and help us understand that all those old beliefs are wrong. There is a God. If you're a science person, you're going, eh, there's, no, the God is nothing, nothing like what we have been taught to believe as in any of the religions God never, God is spirit. God is, the closest you come to God is in your mind because your mind is part of that universal spirit, what Jesus called the Holy Spirit, which is all that exists. Nothing else exists. Everything else is merely a thought in that great eternal mind. And therefore it's a shared thought. Maybe you call it a shared illusion that we are living in today. All of this we are coming at last to understand. It's very, very different from what you and I ever were taught. And one of the things, if you're a science person, not a religion person, and you're listening skeptically, I'd just like to share with you the fact that some of the greatest, greatest scientists who ever lived, Max Planck and Albert Einstein, both of them told us that this is basically, matters, basically not real. And Max Planck was quite specific about it. He said in 1944, as a man who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, to the study of matter, I can tell you as a result of my research 
this much. There is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particles of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. And I just want to interject. We now know that those particles are not solid either. They're vortices of energy. Planck went on to say, we must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Albert Einstein, more familiar to most people who are not interested in science, said, concerning matter, we have been all wrong. What we have called matter is energy, whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. So, frankly, we're, we are on the cutting edge both of science and of Christianity and all religions when we are trying to understand what's true. Seeking reality is the cutting edge of all research now. And, and frankly, because science and religion are both, um, all of them, all, every religion, are all rooted in dogmas, things you have to believe for science, it's materiality. We are not only on the cutting edge, but we're actually the only people still researching this. That's going to change. Within a decade, you're going to find everybody doing the research that you and I talk about today. The greatest discovery of my life was one I guess I was uniquely qualified to make after my history because I had exhaustively studied the afterlife and I was like the most intense Christian you can imagine. So I had exhaustively studied the Bible too. And I was in my early 50s when I gave up on trying to find any evidence that anything I ever had believed as a Christian was real. I, I remember sitting back from my desk one day when I, I just, I had to give up. And I, I remember thinking, is it possible that even though there's, we, we know there's no hell, that if you discover there's no hell, you'll go to hell for discovering it. I was that upset. It took me two years before I finally, on one rainy day, said, I can't live like this anymore. I think Jesus told us a lot of these things. I remember it from the Gospels. I, I, I knew he had told us most of this, but I was so worried that I would find some major thing he didn't get. And so on that day, that rainy day, I picked up my Bible, dusted it off at two years after I had stopped reading it every single day, and I read it. I read all four Gospels and only all four Gospels, and specifically the red letters. Now, some of it is wrong, but what's in there that's wrong is so inconsistent with all the rest that you know it was added later. And it, we think it was the Council of Nicaea in 325 that added that. I mean, I studied that in college. I studied all of it. And I have to tell you, if you want the Bible to be, to be all the inspired word of God, you have the same problem you have if you love hot dogs and you go to a factory that makes hot dogs. You'll never feel the same way about the Bible again if you read every word of it. But I discovered then on that day, um, I think it was around the year 2000, can you remember the day now? I discovered that Jesus told us 2,000 years ago things about God, reality, death, the afterlife, and the meaning and purpose of human life that we could not have confirmed in any way until we had good communications from the dead at the end of the 19th, very early part of the 20th century. Little things, big things, peculiar things. He was right about so much. And the things he was wrong about, obviously he didn't say because everything about those things is, are, are different. And then I sat back again at my desk that morning after reading all those red letters and I said, you know, I get it now. 
Jesus is right. The dead are confirming and in detail that Jesus is right. In each of my fun books, except the fun of living together, there's an appendix that specifically talks about what I what I discovered that day. And I think you'll find it really, really is remarkable. So I didn't know what to do with this discovery. I mean, my concern was that um, I... <laughs> I wanted to do what Jesus wanted me to do. Before the first time that appendix that's in all those fun books was published, I got down on my knees literally, even though usually I didn't pray on my knees. I got down on my knees and I said, God, if I'm not supposed to publish that information, will you please kill me before the book comes out? Then the book will never come out and everything will be fine. I made that prayer. I gave my life to God as a sacrifice in case I was going to tell people things that, God didn't want me to say. Not only did I survive for all these years since, it was published in the fall of 2010, but I, I've been told more and more, whenever I communicate with my primary guide, with my loved ones, I've been told more and more, keep doing what you're doing. It's transformational. So as far as I'm concerned, I have no question about this. This is all true. And now what I've got to do is help you in as many ways as I possibly can to begin your own voyage. Because until science and Christianity and the other religions wake up to the truth and begin to study it, we are basically on our own. So the next step was pretty inevitable. Um, I soon realized I could be a Christian, and I loved Christianity, and to this day love it. I could be a Christian, or I could follow Jesus. I could not do both, because frankly, Christianity ignores the very teachings that are the core of what Jesus came to give us. It was hard to do. It took me a little time, but I finally realized I could trust Jesus, and frankly, that is what really transformed my life in ways that I can't even begin to talk about just wonderfully. I haven't attended a Christian church in seven years. Instead, day by day and with my whole heart, I am seeking an ever closer walk with the teacher who 2,000 years ago came to us as God on earth. Those that we used to think were dead tell us now that Jesus is indeed divine and that even back then he was such an advanced being that the eternal mind that is all that exists, the infinitely powerful consciousness, the unity of perfect love, what Jesus called the Holy Spirit, the genuine God, that we are told never appears in human form. Nevertheless, 2,000 years ago, actually could inhabit Jesus and look through his eyes. He could look through his eyes. Those words come from people we used to think were dead. All of this was very surprising to me, but those not now in bodies tell us that 2,000 years ago, God was on a fact-finding mission. He was trying to understand how having given, given human beings free will could possibly have led them to screw up so badly. You cannot grow at all spiritually unless you are able to make a choice between love and fear. When we are at the lowest level of spiritual growth, which we most of us still are, that's what why we come. We come to repeatedly have the opportunity to make the choice between love and fear. That's the only choice there is. It's like strengthening spiritual muscles each time we make the choice for love. But too many people back then, and boy, if it was bad then, it's really bad now, too many people were making the wrong choice. They were choosing fear. And actually, fear being at the core of all religions, religion was a big problem. So Jesus actually came not to start a new religion, but to abolish religion. And if you read the Gospels closely, you can hear him saying that. 
God in Jesus wanted to give us some pointers once he better understood how it felt to be a human. Give us some pointers, which if we followed them, would, as Jesus promised, literally bring the kingdom of God on earth. So the teachings of Jesus are in the Gospels are what the genuine eternal God determined 2,000 years ago. Our perfect lessons would be, and that, that genuine God within Jesus gave us those teachings, unfortunately, in words, because that's all we understand is words. Jesus told us his words were for God. He said, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work, John 14.10. Those perfect teachings are the genuine word of God as it came to us from the mouth of Jesus. So the, the Bible is emphatically not all the word of God, as anyone can determine, frankly, who bothers to read the whole book at once. But the teachings of Jesus on love, forgiveness, the nature of God, and the meaning and purpose of human life are indeed God's literal words, and they turn out to be the easiest and most effective method ever given to humankind by which we can achieve rapid spiritual growth. As Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31, 32. But is what Jesus tells us in the Gospels actually true? I mean, do the words work? I, I, remember what Thomas Jefferson said. Words are inadequate to convey to us a perfect understanding of anything. So are these words adequate? Well, this surprises me, but actually the answer to this question appears to be yes, because God has recently, within the last few hundred years, made an essential tweak that I'll tell you about in the next segment. Of course, some of what's in the Gospels is clearly not the teachings of the same being who gave us the core Gospel teachings on love, forgiveness, the nature of God, and the meaning of our lives. The early church councils, and really mainly the Council of Nicaea in 325, felt free to edit the Gospels. What does that tell you about how much they respected Jesus? They added especially anachronistic bits about judgment and church building. Jesus never would have said any of those things, and we know that from the other things he said. So to the extent that the Gospels contradict this core message of Jesus, they did not come from Jesus. And in fact, Jesus says many things that suggest he did not even want us to start a religion. He didn't want it. He seems to have been down on all religions to an alarming degree. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and want respect in the synagogues and places of honors at, honor at banquets and who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. They will be received even greater condemnation, Mark 12, 38 to 40. And he hated religious traditions. Why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. These, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, Matthew 15, 3 to 9. The prophet Isaiah said that, Jesus said it again, and still, people who think religion is the right way to go do not listen. Ready for payroll that's pain-free because it's perfect every time? Where employee nightmares like insufficient funds, overdraft fees, and missed payments could become a thing of the past? Then you're ready for Betty. 
With Betty, new from Paycom, employees do their own payroll, giving them greater paycheck insight and the ability to resolve issues before payroll submission for greater accuracy and peace of mind. Learn more at paycom.com slash Betty. That's paycom.com slash B-E-T-I. Stick with us. I'll be right back. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Today your guest is your host, and I'm trying to show you from the heart where I am in, in my spiritual walk, helping, hoping that I'm helping a lot of people to come to the point where they can take this walk with me. The more of us who do it, the more we are going to please God. So Jesus warned us against false religions. He, he warns us right in the Gospels. And he seems to, by, by false religions to have meant all religions. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, Matthew 7 to 20. Um, anyone who has followed my old religion, Catholicism, sees the ravenous wolves, um, all those priests who preyed on children. The, the distortions caused in what we all think is, or used to think, was the religion of Jesus by the fact that there are all these human rules, human, human rules that don't come from God. Those distortions are tragic. And then there's the fact that while people are starving on earth, the Vatican holds a fortune, billions of dollars in stuff. Does anyone believe for a moment that if Jesus were behind Catholicism and and believed that Catholicism was the right way to go, he would allow even one penny to be held by the, the, the Vatican, by the big telepreachers with their fancy houses, by any of those people. Instead, he would say, sell it. And what he said to the rich man in the Gospels, if you really want to grow spiritually, if you really want to be good, you, if you really want to follow me, give it away and pick up your cross and follow me. By pick up your cross, he meant 
pick up the stuff. Now, I'm not sure he said pick up your cross anyway, but it doesn't really matter. He certainly would be horrified, probably is, to see what these people who profess his name do in their daily lives, especially the leaders. And those are certainly the false prophets, right? Because they're not reading and following the literal words of Jesus in the Gospels. Rather than joining public worship services, he urges us to develop a personal relationship with God. He says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, you know, like all those people who hold money when people starve on earth. You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Matthew 6, 1-6. to So I, I think it's very hard for anyone to claim that Christianity is what Jesus came to start. I'd love if someone wants to send me an email and make a case at why it's possible that nevertheless this is what Jesus meant to do. I'd love to you know, hear from you because I, and as I say, I used to love Christianity. To this day, I still love it, I'm sorry to say, but um, I love Jesus. And I have to say that Christianity has betrayed Jesus in every way a hundred thousand times and telling people that they have to sit in a certain church in that particular pew or they're going to he- to a hell that doesn't exist. Um, it's, it's hard. It's all horrifying to me now. I mean, I'm about as disillusioned about Christianity as anyone could be about anything at this point, but still is what we have in the gospels when we open a modern, you know, revised standard version or, or, or any of the modern translations, is that what Jesus really said? Looking only, of course, at what he said about the things he talked about, you know, love and the nature of man and the nature of, of God and so on. Well, Jesus, when he was on earth, spoke Aramaic. His gospel words were then passed down as an oral tradition for decades after his death before they were written down. And then they were translated first from Aramaic into Greek and then much later from Greek into modern English. Uh, Have you ever played telephone as a child? How is it possible there were not, especially since these people could not possibly have understood what they were hearing. There has to have been some distortion that went on there. And, and there's, then there's the problem of Thomas Jefferson. Um, it, he's you know, told us through uh, Leslie Flint in 1960, we cannot convey our precise thoughts using words. He was, he was confident that was always going to be a problem. And um, when you add that to the two-step translation, the fact that Aramaic was translated into Greek and then Greek was translated into all the modern languages in English or whatever language in which you read the Bible. It seems to be impossible, doesn't it, that we know exactly what Jesus said? However, by a literal, literal miracle, you're witnessing a miracle here. The gospel words of Jesus on the important topics are precisely consistent with what those that we used to think were dead are now telling us is true. It's amazing in little details. I mean, Jesus talks about living water. Well, the water in the afterlife is alive. He was talking to that woman about helping her to grow spiritually. He was not talking about baptism, which does not make any difference in the afterlife at all. 
oddly, and I think this is amazing, they're they're doing. There are a few Aramaic speak, speakers left in the world, so they're doing some direct translations of parts of of the Bible and some of the things Jesus said from Aramaic directly to English. Those direct translations are nothing like the translate the two trip step translations that go from Greek into English which tells us that there is something magical about the two trip step translation it's that's the one that the dead now abundantly and consistently tell us is is the true one isn't that incredible it's a literal miracle to have there be any consistency at all sounds difficult when you give all the problems of, you know, playing telephone and then two-step translations. But the fact that if you translate directly from Aramaic to English, it doesn't sound the same as what the dead tell us is true. But when you translate two-step Aramaic to Greek and then into English, it's exactly what the dead have been telling us all along. That fact tells us there's only one possible explanation the genuine God, the Holy Spirit, the only truth, the only thing that exists has to have been behind the revised standard version and the other modern translations of the Bible. Let me tell you that again in a plainer way. God is giving us new revelation, and that revelation is the parts of the New Testament that were translated two-step and now come to us in modern English. Modern English. Don't read the, you know, the King James or any other old translation because they did not have God's 20th century blessing. I can't begin to tell you how hard the dead are trying. And frankly, many of them are, are, are people we've never heard of. Many of them are so advanced, such advanced beings, they don't even communicate directly. But there is a decision has been made that we are going to destroy this world, unless, which is a very useful school, by the way, unless we have some better understanding of what's going on. So they're trying hard to help us go, know what's going on. And the one who is trying hard is the very being that we think started a religion that is anathema to him, and that's Jesus. He never started Christianity. People, as, as Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You are, on, you are following the teachings of men. Couldn't have been better said, and he said it 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 to 32. I decided I probably had to start doing what Jesus said. Um, and so I started that. It, probably it was the summer of 2011. It's now almost 2018. Uh, it took me about a year and a half. That's all it took. The teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, if you take them literally and follow them closely, are the easiest way to grow spiritually because you don't have to, you know, meditate. You don't have to take a lot of time. You don't have to have a guru. You don't have to, you know, chant. You don't have to do anything but literally apply the teachings of Jesus to your daily life. That's all you have to do. And the way it's, I don't have time today to talk about all the ways in which I, I think I've talked about this in other segments, all the ways in which it transforms you, but it transforms you completely. 
set, what will the, what will it set you free from? It will set you free from needing to practice a religion, free from fear. I've never really been afraid of anything since then because nothing could touch me. My mind is is part of God, and I am of God, and I'm just here in this, you know, foolish flesh suit, uh, trying to help you make the same leap in your own life. And I was not always a good person. Just saying, but it doesn't matter. The teachings are all we need. So what are those teachings? Well, the first one is love. Jesus said, if you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, I would just say he, he's not talking about the Hebrew God. He's talking about the genuine God. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say as if he were yourself. No. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knew your neighbor actually is yourself. We are part of the same mind. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Do not even the tax collectors do, the, do, do that? They, didn't, they hated tax collectors even back then. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 43, 48. Perfect in what? Perfect in love. When you are perfect in love, all other perfections happen to you naturally. But the problem is this. In order to love as Jesus teaches us to love, we first must learn how to perfectly forgive. This is something which I talk about in my, my book, The Fun of Growing Forever. You can't forgive each thing that happens. It makes you crazy. But you can learn to raise your spiritual vibration and protect your mind from things that are going to bother you. And then you will never need to forgive again. It already is. Forgiveness happens before whatever it is that's going to bug you happens. It's a, it's a, it's a, a fascinating process. Peter asked him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Matthew 18, 21 to 23. And we must never judge anyone. Do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Luke 6, 37 to 38. That's exactly what we all should be doing. We must learn how to forgive because as Jesus, Jesus says there very clearly, and this is true, when we finally get to the point of a judgment, oh, indeed, there is a judgment and it happens shortly after death. Our judges ourselves. And if we have not learned to forgive very, very, very well, when we get there and we start judging ourselves, we will not be able to forgive ourselves. And when you see, I don't care how good you are, when each of us sees all the ways we have hurt people, because we get to feel all the feelings we gave to people, everybody in our entire life back to childhood, when you get to feel how you made so many people feel, just maybe by being careless, it's very, very hard, very hard to forgive. When we come back, we're going to put this all together.
Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Dear, dear friends, welcome back to Seek Reality. This is Roberta Grimes, and now it's up to me to wrap this all up, and I have to figure out how to do that. My book on the genuine teachings of Jesus is Liberating Jesus. Um, there is, there are, are um, other episodes in which I talk about how I got Liberating Jesus, but, but please suffice it to say, Liberating Jesus is true, and I know it's true because, frankly, it's channeled. It's all channeled. Um, and I, I hear from people all the time who are finding the book and are finding that well, the most common thing people say about it is, I thought this all my life. Thank you for telling me it's true. Jesus is speaking to all our hearts. And if you if you give him a different name, if there's a different person you follow in your religion, that that person is speaking to your heart. God is speaking to all of us and calling us away from whatever thoughts we have, including religion, that are fear-based. And, and I think science is fear-based, too, at this point. But they're, Jesus... God is calling us to, to love. God is calling us to have a relationship that is direct. All of that is happening now. And frankly, it's an exciting time to be alive. But, you know, Christians are not using the teachings of Jesus, not at all. And if you have any Christian friends and you start talking to them about what Jesus actually said, they will look at you funny because they think they have a get out of hell free ticket in the death of Jesus on the cross. So why should they try to do anything else? They're wrong. 
and it's going to be harder for them after they die, but there is no hell, and there'll be a lot of help for them, and they will come to understand what's true. But Christians aren't using those teachings, so you and I can. And as I've said elsewhere, I'm no longer saying anything about my Christianity being different. I don't call myself any longer an originalist, orig I can't say the word, originalist Christian, because in fact, we are the genuine followers of Jesus. So we have a perfect right to call ourselves Christians. And that's what I do now. I say I'm a Christian, but actually I just follow Jesus because that's all I need. My book on how best to do what Jesus tells us to do is the fun of growing forever. I hear about people from people about this book too. Um, it's about my own journey, which turned out to be a really quick one to see what happens if you follow the teachings of Jesus and really seriously apply them to your life. There are some little shortcuts, things that make it easier for, to, for you to make this work that I've learned. And I urge you, if you care about growing spiritually, I don't care how old you are, read The Fun of Growing Forever and take it seriously because it is from God. I mean, we live forever anyway. If you don't complete your cycle of growth to the point where you, you enter the upper fifth level, you're going to just come back. And we talk about that elsewhere, too. I'm sorry to be speaking in some shorthand, but we don't have much time left. By the time you get to be fairly advanced spiritually, your vibration is fairly high, you'll no longer need to come back. So if you'd rather not come back, I don't care where you are in your development now, and I don't care how old you are. If you pick up the fun of living forever and start applying the teachings of Jesus in this simple and easy way to your regular life. It took me just a few months and I didn't sort of let down my guard a bit deciding it was permanent until probably a year, year and a half later, but it takes almost no time at all. And you can make this, anyone can make this your last lifetime if you will do it seriously. And, and I have to say too that for a lot of what we've been talking about today, um, I have to, to thank my first teacher. I realize now my first teacher, the voice that I heard when I was eight speaking out of that light, my close eternal friend and my primary spirit guide in this lifetime. He's the being whose next to last earth lifetime was a big one. Um, he was once Thomas Jefferson. He doesn't... He doesn't particularly care for that lifetime now. He tells us it wasn't even his most important lifetime. It's still a big deal to us, though. When he was Thomas Jefferson, he said he had too much power. He didn't always use it well, and he had to get back, get himself back into balance. So actually, he chose another lifetime that was supposed to have been his last, the one as Jefferson. But he lived another lifetime quickly as someone named John in Wales so that he could get himself back into spiritual balance. Then he was able to stop incarnating. He tells me that you and I, um, or that he and I, uh, lived 17 lifetimes together before this, this one. So he chose me, of all imperfect vessels, to finish work that he had, had come to Earth specifically to do. He, he basically gave himself too much to do in his lifetime as Jefferson. Besides all the things he did for us, he had two big objectives. He wanted to help Jesus to set the record straight, and he wanted to, to end, heal America's founding wound. He couldn't heal that wound. 
um, which is slavery. It still continues to this day. And he couldn't do what he wanted to do for Jesus because he judged late in his life that if he tried to do it, he would undo whatever good he had done in his life. So he is frustrated about that. And um, I'm trying to do that for him now in my extremely imperfect way. But with his guidance, perhaps I can make a difference. Um, liberating Jesus is what he wanted to write in his lifetime. I've written it now and channeled the person he was trying to channel in his lifetime, which was Jesus himself. I've written the fun of living together in an attempt to wake America up to the fact that we can heal our founding wound. We can heal the wound that slavery left there because Thomas Jefferson, because his wife died primarily, didn't wasn't able to finish that work. So let's come together and give Thomas Jefferson in exchange for all he did for us, the gift of finishing his work together. He's really... Um, He's really my dearest friend, uh, but he's, it, this, I, I just want to say for anyone who's curious, this is not a romantic relationship. We've always been male friends. This is a very unusual lifetime for me that I've come to earth as a female. And that's a whole other story I could tell you. But yes, before I was, before I was in my teens, I certainly would, would have loved to be transgendered into being a male. I wanted to be one, but that's why I'm so against surgery or even, even hormones for people who are subadult. People choose their, their sexes when they come into this lifetime for a reason. And the last thing we want to do is take away that reason. I could not have done the work I do now if I were not female. So I rejoice too in having been born before people were interfering in what's supposed to happen to the extent that they interfere now. But that's yet another segment. Uh, I, I've got to tell you at this point that this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you could join us today. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really understand all the implications of that, it is going to change everything, everything in your life for the better. The next time we meet, we're going to talk about what happens when we lose a little animal friend or a big one. As you can imagine, I hear often from the newly bereaved, and from my perspective, it seems that losing a human loved one is something that we're somewhat conditioned to bear. And... We always get a lot of help, but it's the private grief that comes with the loss of a pet that too often destroys us. And frankly, primarily, it's because of guilt. We, we think we should have been able to save them, but of course we could not. But even learning that, yes, our pets do go to heaven too, isn't enough to assuage the grief of many people for these creatures who frankly were in their lives for at most a decade or two. Almost three years ago, I wrote a blog post for robertagrimes.com entitled Pets in the Afterlife. And then after a year and a half, that post was picked up by Google, and lo and behold, it became something that people would find as they desperately sought information. So now I hear almost daily from people who are so distraught about the death of a dog or a cat or even a rat or a rabbit that it's as if they were grieving an only child. So for these folks, our guest next week will be Debbie Johnstone, who communicates with animals both living and dead. She and I will be talking about what really happens when a pet dies, and you're going to find Debbie fascinating, so please join us. This week I've been sharing with you, from my heart, the greatest love there is. I cannot adequately express to you how joyous my journey with Jesus and with Thomas has been. 
it's daily even more joyous. After all these years, more and more modern people are finding Christianity to be pretty thin path, both intellectually and spiritually. But in fact, Christianity as it's practiced has nothing whatsoever to do with the genuine Jesus who is God on earth and who frankly is working now as hard as he ever had. He's working everywhere and he is working now to try to at last bring to people on earth a perfect awareness of what he genuinely came to teach. The genuine Jesus is God's greatest gift to humankind. He was and he will forever be God on earth to us, and God never takes human form. There is nobody with, with a beard and uh, you know thunderbolts in his hand. That does not exist. That's yet another human construct, but Jesus is genuine, God on earth. And he told us 2,000 years ago perfect truths that we're able to confirm only now. And he's part of the universal perfect certainty that lies at the heart of all there is, what we are now, all of us together, trying to understand. Every person on earth is seeking reality, and behind the reality that eventually all of humankind will find will be the truth that God is the water in which we swim. God truly is all there is, and we are part of that God. As Jesus said long ago, the kingdom of God is within us. Now, as you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, and The Fun of Living Together, and for young children, The Fun of Meeting Jesus. You can order them through bookstores or on Amazon.com, and they're available in many translations worldwide. Please, if you want to ever communicate with me, just email me at robertagrimes.com. I answer every email. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please join and make the most, enjoy rather, in making the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing always that you are a powerful eternal being, and you in particular, you are infinitely loved. <laughs>